This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. We're going to talk about community. And uh, I just want to open up in a word of prayer before I start, um, and then I'm just going to jump right in. Father, God, I'm grateful this morning that you had this incredible idea. (laughs) You had this incredible idea called the church. It wasn't our idea. It wasn't some religious leader's idea, but, Lord, it was your idea from the very beginning. To have a group of people that would carry your presence to the world. A group of people that would be so irresistible in their love and care for one another that it would draw everyone in. Father, our desire as a church is to be like that. Help us have a much bigger perspective of this thing called church and community than we've ever had before. Father, we know, Lord God, that many have been hurt or wounded or disappointed by this thing called church, myself included. But Father, I pray this morning that we would not see through the eyes of yesterday, but the eyes of hope for tomorrow. God, that's my prayer today. And I know, Lord God, because I know this group of people that that's their prayer today. Father, we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you are uh, new or newest to the church, we've been starting a series over the last couple of weeks called At the Core. And the gist of this series really is to uh, let everyone know who we are. What's our core uh, thoughts, our core values, our core DNA. And, and as much as uh, every church has a unique flavor, uh, ours is not uh, any different than that. We have, there's a uniqueness to impact church. And if you've been around any length of time, you'll know that we are unique in a good way most of the time. And um, I just want to say this morning that uh, even though I'm not feeling 100%, I'm sure you guys can know, I'm just not feeling great today, but I'm going to plug through. Um, But what I want to say this morning is that this message is at the very core of my life because I understand what it's like not to have community. I've understood what it's like to have community, and I'm going to go one step further and say, I also understand what it's like to have community that I didn't deserve. And I'm praying this morning that we get to that third level. How many have ever longed for something but thought you didn't deserve it? And my hope and my prayer this morning is that we see not only what God had in mind, Um, But as I speak this morning, not only am I going to speak about God's heart, but my heart this morning is to also expose the enemy's lies. Because I want to say to you this morning, if you've ever had any thought in your life about shying away from church or community or genuine deep relationship, I want you to know that I have personally felt every thought you've ever thought and then some. 
I have been in a place where I said, literally pointed my finger at God and said, I will never again step foot into a church ever again in my life. That was on a Tuesday, and I was back at church on Sunday. It, only, it was five days. God only needed five days. You know, Jesus, it was three days and out of the tomb, but for me it was five days out of the tomb. But what happened in those five days was that God started to birth a love for his church. And I pray this morning that you'd have the same perspective. You know what's the scariest thing? Coming to a place where the potential of you getting hurt is still and will always be there. Scary. Are you saying you should distrust everyone? No. I'm saying you should trust God. I'm saying you should trust God that he would lead you to a house that will love you and care for you. And at the same time, give you a push. Challenge you. And I'm going to use the word that we all love. Even discipline you. It's the worst word in the world. How many parents just wake up in the morning like... Lord, I just want to discipline my children today. That's my heart. I want to just whoop them good. No, and of course, right now, someone has just called CAS on me because they just assumed that I whoop my children. No, I don't whoop my children. We give them pills. <laughs> yes. <laughs> There's a big difference. Okay. You know, what you don't know. Oh, did I say that out loud? I said that out loud. Okay. All right. No, I don't do that. Um, But I want you to understand this morning that in the day and age where we are more globally connected than ever before, there is a disease like never before called loneliness. And we have somehow convinced ourselves that if we have 329 friends on Facebook and someone likes your post on Instagram, that somehow that that's reality. Somehow that makes me feel good about myself. And the only thing it does is give you a quick high until it lasts, hopefully, to the next one. That's no way to live. Now, I think you can use social media for great reasons, just the same way you can use any technology for great reasons. But if it is your source of fulfillment, it's only going to frustrate you in the end. Okay? God has designed you to be connected in a church called community where you gather strength from that community. You gather hope from that community. You gather perspective from that community. Interestingly enough, there was a a Gallup poll done at the end of 2017, confirmed by a study from Harvard, that they actually said that in a 10-year period from 2006 until 2016... And I'm glad you're sitting down for this moment. That the loneliness factor in North America has gone up 565% in 10 years. Wow. We are the loneliest people in the world. And what I hoped to do this morning is to get you to see 
that when Jesus saw the church, he didn't see an institution, he didn't see a religious institution, he saw an institution that was necessary for your success in life. It was meant to be something beyond what you could ever imagine. Randy Frazee, a great Christian author, said this. He said, isolation is the second major obstacle to connecting in true community. This flows out of the first main obstacle, which is a culture of individualism, which breeds the sickness of loneliness. Church has to be a place, not only where the genuine, authentic love of God is received, but where the love of God is shared consistently, no matter what comes back. You know one of the greatest struggles that I have. Can I just be really honest this morning? Because I'm people-oriented, so people can excite me and, and get me going and energize me, and at the same time, people can... I struggle sometimes with that. And here's what I've realized is one pattern in my life. So if you're a people-oriented person, you're going to go, oh, yeah, I do the same thing, is you fall into the trap of needing a response in order to feel fulfilled. And if you get the response, everything's good, therefore community's healthy. And my response to that would be, that's the epitome of unhealthy community. If you're needing something, and then what ultimately happens is you start to change who you are and how you relate. So I want you to know this morning, there's two simple thoughts that God wants you to get across this morning. Number one, that the church of the living God is meant to be a place where Christ's love is received. Thought one. But he didn't stop there, just like your heart beats twice, beats in, beats out, beats in, beats out. Why? Because God then wants you to take that genuine, deep, undeserved, unconditional grace and love and mercy that he is giving to you, and now give it away. Don't just take it. Give it away. Be a conduit of what God wants to do. I love one of my favorite kind of passages in the Bible is Mark chapter 12, and it's starting at verse 28 to 31. It says this. And one of the teachers of the law, one version says, one of the religious teachers of the law, came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? And I can just imagine what this religious leader is doing right now. He's thinking to himself, okay, he just gave one really good answer to the guy before me, but I'm going to get him. I'm going to get him to to trip over his words, to trip over his thoughts, and he's going to have no idea what he's saying. Watch this one. Boys, watch. He asked the question, of all the commandments, which is most important? Okay? When you hear the word commandment and you refer to something in the Old Testament, what do you think of? This is not a trick question. The Ten Commandments. Interestingly enough, his answer does not cover much of any of them except the very first one. And then he wraps up the other nine with one thought. So here's what he says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's good. What does that mean? Yeah, have you heard an answer from God that you didn't want to hear? Okay. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. How many have ever seen a child talk to mommy and ask a question, didn't get the answer they wanted, went to daddy because you know you got daddy wrapped around your cute little pinky finger like you know you do as a seven-year-old named Abigail Jeffs. Anyhow, you can do anything. 
just go to daddy. Why do you even bother going to mommy? I have no idea. But she comes to daddy, and I give in. It's pathetic. It's the most pathetic thing. Scott, don't be like me. It is the most pathetic thing. Why is, God, is Jesus saying this? He was basically saying, no matter where you look, whenever you look for the right source, whether it be Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah whatever, fill in the blank, the answer is going to be the same. You can look around and try to find some other answer and some other answer that you want to hear, but at the end of the day, the answer is always going to be the same. Here's his answer. Love the Lord God with some of your heart, with some of your soul, and with some of your mind, and just a little bit of your strength. And the second is like this. Love your neighbor only if they have something nice to give back to you. Because there's no commandment greater than these. Just get, 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 get from all your neighbors, and then take some more before you're done. Thus saith Jesus, signed in red. No. It says... Love the Lord God with all your heart. Even the part that I've been hurt, that part especially. With all your soul. All of it? Yep. And with all your mind. How many have ever in your life ever had a thought that was contrary to what God thought? And God is saying, with all of those thoughts... Follow him. And with all your strength. Second is love your neighbor as yourself. He wraps up every single thing in the Old Testament in two thoughts. Love God, love others. Love God, love others. Love God, love others. For God so loved the world that he... Oh. There's... um, a very interesting quote that I found, and it's by the most famous individual ever known, named Anonymous. And he said this, I have never known anyone who was isolated, lonely, disconnected, and had no deep relationships. She had had a meaningful and joy-filled life. We read that and we go, ouch, and that's not good. But I want you to not take that as an ouch. I want you to take that as okay. All right. I have an opportunity, September 22nd, 2019, to reevaluate my life, to reevaluate my, my relationships, to reevaluate my priorities, to reevaluate what I'm investing in. How many know that you're only going to get a return on your investment? If you're not investing relationally, you cannot live in overdraft. And there are far too many Christians hoping the church becomes their overdraft. And it's never meant to be overdraft. What you deposit, you can withdraw. What you deposit, you can withdraw. What you deposit, you can withdraw. And the cool thing is, is the church doesn't have overdraft, but Christ does. It's called his mercy and his grace, and he just does it because he loves us. Okay. We're supposed to be like Christ. How does that work? Here's how it works. We do overdraft when Christ initiates overdraft. But if our expectation is always in the realm of relational overdraft, then you're going to constantly be disappointed. Can I be honest this morning? There's too many church-going people that are hoping for the church overdraft to cover 
what they're struggling through. And here's what I want you to understand. And I'm going to pick somebody up because I'm going to do it, and they can hit me later. And I know Jeff's not here, but Jeff and Rachel Evans, for 11 years, has found ways to deposit into people's lives in this church. And I have a question for you. If they were going through a nightmarish situation, how many of us would be at their door? Without even thinking. You want to know why? Because they've deposited. They've deposited and they've deposited. And they've deposited and they've deposited. And never once did they put a sign on their door, I'm only going to give if you, if, if, I, if you get to give back to me better than I gave you. And here's what's happening. They can withdraw in a time of need. Now, we serve a God where we can withdraw any time because God's awesome. But how many know that humans are slightly less than godly at times? Just slightly. Okay? So here's what I want you to understand. The whole goal is for us to love God, to love others. To love God, to love others. Not to expect in return. Not to look for something but to just simply love God and love others. Not to live in the mindset of relational overdraft where you're constantly disappointed, but to live in the realm where we say it doesn't matter. I'm going to be a part. I'm going to connect. I'm going to, I'm going to support. I'm going to invest. I'm going to, you know what? I just heard from someone last Sunday that they were going through a tough time this week. I know that they had an appointment on Tuesday. I'm going to Facebook message them. I'm going to call them. I'm going to check in. I'm going to say, how are you doing? I'm praying for you. You're going to show up at their door at Tuesday after work, and you're going to say, hey, man, I was just thinking of you all day. I don't want to spend a lot of time, but can I just pray for you for five minutes? Boom, home, church, hello. But the trap we fall into with an overdraft mindset is, I wish someone was there for me. If someone just came for me, then maybe I'd give back. And my response to you is, it has to be conduit of the love of the Father into the love of those people's lives around us. And the moment we do that, something starts to kick in, and there's this depth of relationship that starts. And it goes to another level. All right. So how does God feel about isolation? Well, I, I already know, but I'm going to just show you something. Genesis chapter 1. After the first six days of creation, God said the same statement. What did he say? It was... And then he got to a problem. Genesis chapter 2.18, and it says this. It is not good for man to be alone. And all the husbands said, amen. That was weak. You are getting no Christmas presents this year. That's all I got to say. It is not good for man to be alone. For the first time in history at that moment, God recognizes something that's off. And he recognizes something that has to be fixed. And he basically said it's not good for an individual who is all by themselves to be alone. I'm going to make a suitable helper for them. John Orderberg, uh, author, said this. What is striking is that the fall has not yet occurred. There is no sin, no disobedience, nothing to mar the relationship between God and man. The human being is in a state of perfect intimacy with God. Each word he and God speak with each other is filled with closeness and joy. Yet the word God uses to describe Adam is, is alone. And God says this aloneness is not good. Sometimes in church circles, when people feel lonely, we will tell them not to expect too much from human relationships, that there is inside every human being a God-shaped void that no other person can fill. That is true. But apparently, according to the writer of Genesis, God 
creates inside a man a kind of human-shaped void that God himself will not fill. No substitute will fill this need in you for human relationship. Not money, not achievement, not busyness, not books, not even God himself. Even though this man was in a state of sinless perfection, he was alone. And it was not good. You know what? The greatest proof that you need somebody is that the thought that I need somebody never goes away. It's always there. It's never not there. You may not verbalize it, but it's in your head. It's in your heart. And so I want to just share with you a couple of things that I've noticed in my own life, and I've noticed over the last, I say, 25 years or so when it comes to kind of church dynamics. Um, When we choose to isolate ourselves, the following, I just picked my top three. I could have probably had ten, but I'm going to just pick my top three list of the following things that can occur when we are um, isolating ourselves. This is what can happen. So the first one is this, lost perspective. Lost perspective. How do I know about this one? Thanks, Kelly. Because God, in his infinite wisdom, gave me a wife that everyone jokingly calls misperspective. Because she knew her husband had none. And when he's not doing well, the none becomes really none. Really, really zero none. Zilch. Nothing. It's gone. Thankfully, 25 years ago, that moment lasted for a year. Today, it lasts less than a year. Okay, so, it's, it's, which is good. Thank you, Jesus. But here's what I've learned from my own life when I isolated myself. Here's the first thing that happens. We lose perspective because we have no objective source outside of ourselves giving us wisdom, advice, or perspective. So then the only voice we're listening to is our own. And the problem with our own voice is it's on the old, you know, record players and it's on repeat. I remember my dad played records all the time. And the one thing that used to drive me nuts is when it hit that spot and it would just hiccup. Whip. And it would come back to the same spot and play the same line over and over again. And you're like, I cannot hear the 12 Days of Christmas by the Muppets one more time. Or I'm going to lose my mind. But you have to understand, there was nothing that would stop it. If you don't have an outside source of perspective, here's what happens. Your lows get lower. Your highs get higher. Your point of view gets clouded. Your perspective gets clouded. And then things seem, in your own minds, to be much worse than they actually are. How you view things is ten times of what it actually is. But in your mind, it's the worst. Decision-making then becomes impulsive. How do I know? Hmm. A lot of impulsive choices in my earlier days. We become impulsive because we don't have others pointing us to a healthy, balanced truth. Here's the second thing that happens when it comes to isolation. We have a fear of intimacy. How many have ever been hurt before? And if we're being honest, I'm not going to do a show of hands, but how many here in this place, you you don't even have to look at me, would say I have a fear of being hurt again? And I want you to know this morning, that is a very normal thought. You are not abnormal for thinking that thought. 
As a matter of fact, I've had that thought many times in my life. But I want you to know something. Here's what you can ultimately trust. You have to trust that God is going to put you in a place that you feel led by God to, that you can be a part of the solution for that place, not the part of the problem, right? That you're going to come in and say, okay, I'm going to help fix some of these types of issues, and it's going to start with me. There's a reason why we do some of the stuff that we've done over the last five, six, seven years, including an encounter and some of the teaching we've done and some of the equipped stuff we've done and some of the small groups we've done. Because we believe at the end of the day that your life is far more exponentially better when you are connected to people that are tracking with you, supporting you, speaking into your life, and speaking good things into your life. I love Pastor Gary Hayes' um, his title for his ministry, Speak Life Global. I mean, that's what we should all be doing. Speak life. Speak life over people. Speak life over situations. It's very easy to speak the opposite, but we want to speak life over situations. I want you to know this morning that your story is incredibly important. One of the things that someone told me many, many years ago when I was afraid to connect and I was afraid to get involved with certain things, they basically said, do you believe that God has touched your life in a unique way? And my response was, well, my mom always said I was unique. I must be then, right? And here's the conclusion I came to. Yeah, there are certain things that I've gone through. There are certain moments in God that I have got a hold of that were very personal. And the guy looked at me and he said, so why in the world do you think that God would not want to use you? You know when someone asks you a question and you have no answer, but you, don't, you know the answer, but you don't want to give the answer, so you do what we do best, which is you change the subject. You know? And here's what I've realized. Every single person in here has a story, has a testimony, has an experience that somebody else needs to hear. They need to hear your story. The third thought is this. So the first thing, again, is is um, lost perspective. The second is fear of intimacy. And the third thought is this, and this is a, this is, I'm going to step on toes, but I want you to hear my heart before you throw things at me, is selfishness. The root issue of isolation is actually selfishness. Because you are making a decision to say, God, I don't trust that you could ever use me. God, I don't trust that you could ever bring someone into my life to bring me perspective. I don't trust you at all. Therefore, I'm going to do life on my own, and I got it all figured out. The root of that is selfishness. And what I want you to understand today is God not only doesn't want that, but he wants you to start to take steps towards connection. And here's what I want you to say. Here's what I want you to hear this morning as the pastor of this church. As far as we're concerned, no pressure on how quickly you do that. That's up to you. We're not here to tell you what you should and shouldn't do. But here's what I do want to say. We are absolutely convinced that community was God's idea. It was for your good. It's for a blessing. And we need you. Period. End of story. That's how we feel. So I want you to courageously find ways to step out and to start making some connections. For some of you, you're already deeply connected. That's awesome. Bless you. But I want you to have the courage to step out. Why is this important? Because God calls us to be like him. 
as the church, God has called us to be a perfect, visible representation of Christ on the earth. That's what we're called to do. And I love Genesis 1.26. It says, let us, speaking of the Trinity, make mankind in our image according to our likeness. God desires that we live out the same concept of relationship that he has in the Godhead forever. Perfect unity, relationship. This is why God's dream for us is simple. John chapter 17, I believe it's verse 21. Jesus literally praying for his disciples, and this was his prayer. My prayer is that they would be one as we are one. He's referring again to Genesis chapter 1. That we would be one as he is one. And I just want to do a couple of very, very quick references to see how the Trinity treated each other. Number one, Genesis 1.26, they enjoyed each other. Matthew 3.17, they encouraged one another. John 14.25, they supported one another. Mark 9.7, they loved one another. John 14.10, they deferred to one another. John 17.1, they glorified one another. I don't know about you, but that's just an awesome, awesome relationship. And this is what God desires for his church to live out, Okay. Those are completely selfless actions by a selfless God. And his heart is that we would live out John 17, verse 21, that we would be one. We would have this authentic, genuine unity and community so that what the end of verse 21 says, so that the world may believe that Jesus sent you. I want to... I want to read a a quote. Francis Schaeffer says this, Our relationship with each other is the criterion the world uses to judge whether our message is truthful. Christian community, therefore, is the final apologetic. To the degree that we get community right is to the degree that people are going to want to come and find out who in the world are you and who in the world is the God you serve. This past Tuesday, I lost count how many times I heard statements like this. And you're a church? Yeah. And you did this just for us? Yeah. Where did all the money come from? The church. Whoa. Why did they do that for us? Because we care. Why? Because Jesus cares about us. Who's Jesus? How long do you got? I had the most significant conversation with a grandpa there that was with his three grandkids at the back-to-school bash. The most significant conversation I've had in the seven, six, seven years we've done this. And at the end of it, I gave him one of our, you know, little invite cards, and I looked at him, and I just basically said, listen, that's where we are, but call me anytime. If you ever have any questions, no problem. And he was like, wow, I have grown up my entire life, and I've never understood God or church or anything. I've never been to church. I've never been around church. I don't know many people that go to church. And he was probably in his late 60s, early 70s. And at the end of it, he had this new appreciation for Jesus' love and the love of the church. That is what's going to be the apologetic that people determine whether they're going to serve Jesus or not. Can Can I say this morning, at one point in my life, I thought the answer to uh, growth and, and, and development in this particular area was to have as many casual connections as possible. The problem is, is casual connections are not life-giving. Casual connections don't bring life transformation. What they bring is a sense of 
belonging to a degree, I guess, but it's, it's not this deep, intimate community that Jesus had foreseen. So what we have been about for years is this idea of creating environments where authentic community can take place. That's what we've tried to do. We have not nailed it every single time. We've, you know, made some mistakes and we've adjusted and we've tried different things. But at the end of the day, the entire thing that we've tried to do for 11 years is create as many on-ramps as possible to the road called community. And what we try to do is to make really big signs telling you where the on-ramp is. But it's up to you to get on that road or not. And we're not here to force you, push you, manipulate you, pay you money, give away free iPads, anything like that. We're not going to do that, although I was tempted once. But anyhow, but we're not going to do that. But it's from the heart, not of can you, can you, can you, can you, but it's from the heart of, wow, can you imagine what life is like when you have that kind of community with the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and it's church? Whoa! That's where it's coming from. John 13, 34. A new command I give you. Whenever Jesus says a new command, it literally means that everything before was not so good. And interestingly enough, he was talking out loud with a bunch of religious leaders around them. And the religious leaders had created book after book after book of all of these extra laws and all these extra duties and obligations that they were supposed to do and then put on the people. Jesus stands up and goes, um, excuse me, can I, can I create a new command today? Love one another. And if he stopped there, I think that would have been okay. You know, that would have been good. But he kept going. And this is where it gets hard. It's like, okay, great. Love one another. That's awesome. (laughs) Next line, as I have loved you. Uh Uh-oh. Okay, that's not good. Do you mean I'm supposed to have grace on people when they're in a really bad place and they're messing up? Did Jesus do that for you? Are you saying I'm supposed to go the extra mile even though they didn't respond? Did Jesus? Yeah. So what's the balance for us today? Well, the balance is having healthy boundaries. Not constantly walking into situations where you're going to get hurt, abused, misused. I think that's wise. How many know that love and wisdom are connected? They're not disconnected. I think that's important. But John 15, 12, he repeats the same thought. He says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. So what's the obstacles that we have to overcome? Then I'm going to come in for a close. We're going to have communion together. We're going to party. We're going to go home. We're going to enjoy the last of the summer weather because rumor had it that yesterday was the last day of summer. Oh, boy. Okay. It's all good. So encouraging, Cameron. Thank you. Okay. Um, So what obstacles do each of us as individuals at any local church Includes impact, but any local church has to overcome to be that kind of church. Well, the first obstacle that I'm going to, I'm just going to call it individualism. Um, I'm going to say something that is very personal for me, and so I hope it doesn't come across like, like it, I'm annoyed. And I'm, so I, I, I really want to just put out the disclaimer. I, this is very personal for me. I don't want to be someone's texting buddy. 
I don't want to be the guy that you talk to on the phone while working out on your treadmill. I don't because it's not genuine. I, I don't. Could you imagine if you came to Jesus with a really big problem and he's like, hey, we're just, uh, you know, we're working out here, you know, yeah, come just follow me, just keep working out, you know, yeah, talk to me. No, I'm focused on you. No, I'm putting my attention on you. Oh, hey, let's get the fishing in, let's get the fishing in. Jesus stopped everything he did, noticed them, looked them right in the eye and said, hey, wow, I'm so sorry you've gone through that. Can I be there for you? How can I help? Can I say that our culture has given us permission to do some of the most hurtful things in communication that I have ever seen in my entire life? And somehow culture says, it's okay because everyone does it. It's not okay. If we are going to be a safe place for people to trust us, With the love of the Father. Not showing up when you said you would. Showing up three hours late when you said you'd be there three hours before. Not phoning back. Not replying. Not responding. Not caring is non-negotiable. Can't happen. I, in the last three weeks, have spoken to, not no one here, so I just want you to know, this is people that I am personally friends with in ministry, that somehow this has gotten into ministry circles, where I have become, in the last three weeks, the treadmill friend, the ironing my clothes friend, and the talking at Tim Hortons while I'm ordering my double-double friend. And in the last three weeks, I've had conversations that went like this, I love you. I'm grateful for your friendship, but I don't want to be your Tim Hortons double-double friend. I don't want to be your Horizon 5.1 treadmill friend, and I definitely don't want to be your ironing friend because I'm allergic to irons. I can't do it at all. It just doesn't work. It doesn't happen for me. Why am I bringing this up? Because it's an epidemic in the culture that we live in. And this church cannot be like that. It cannot be like that. It cannot be like that. I want us to drop everything we're doing, get rid of what we are individually pursuing in that moment, and put our total gaze and attention and focus on that individual and say, how can I be a brother or sister in Christ to you right now? Busyness. You know what I've realized? Busyness is a relative term. It speaks actually more to our values than it speaks to our activity. Okay? It speaks more to our values than it does to our activity. How many know that binge watching on Netflix is absolutely addictive? How many have ever been binge watched on Netflix before and you're going to respond to the altar call this morning for, oh, Lord, I'm going to limit it to under four hours on a day, okay, Lord? I'm going to limit it, God. I'm going to start small and work my way up, Lord. I'm going to go from four hours to three hours and 59 minutes and then I'll work my way down. I have to, I just, again, we have to be honest here and say there's a lot of things that are attracting our time. A lot of things. 
It's amazing to me how smartphones have made us relationally dumb. But what I want you to understand this morning is there's a shift that we have to make. And it's called rethinking our priorities and those things that we're investing our time into. Third one is this. And my apologies, I'm a bit long today. That's all good. You guys love me. Third, the third obstacle is this. I call it the holy man myth. I want you to understand it's not the woolly mammoth. It's, it's not that. They are extinct. They're extinct. They are gone. They only come back when you're watching Ice Age 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. How many are they at now? 14? It's like if I see Sid the Sloth one more time, I'm going to lose my marbles. Anyhow, I'm just saying. But the holy man myth goes like this. All right? Are we ready? Here we go. The holy man myth says that every pastor or leader is the sustainer of church community. All right. Point two. Why can that not be true? Because it'll cripple the church. Because it overburdens pastors and leaders. And underutilizes the gifts, the stories, the call, the abilities, the heart, the experience, the passions of those that are sitting in the chairs. Can I say to you this morning, I have never once gone to any type of sporting event and went to see the coaches. I go to see the players. And according to Ephesians chapter 4, that's you. That's not me. I'm the guy that lives off of, you know, I'm kidding, I'm just talking. And I have, you know, my 5,000 square foot mansion in the foothills of North Carolina and have my own private golf course in the backyard. Yay, no, I don't. But the entire reason that the angelic host get up in the morning, don't know if they sleep, but we'll go with it just because it's part of the story, is to look down upon each of you to say, Oh, I wonder what they're going to do in their sphere of influence today. Come on now. Hey, Gabriel, start singing. Oh, hey, okay, amazing grace. It's awesome, boys. Bring out the piccolos because they're anointed. Okay. No, it doesn't happen like that. But I'm going to tell you what happens. All of heaven gets on the edge of their seat the moment you wake up. Because... You are kingdom carriers of the presence of God. You are carriers and conduits of the love of the Father. And God is saying, who will go? Oh, God, I, I got to check my Facebook page first. Like, come on. I gotta, God, I got to check my text messages first before I, I do anything else. Lord, come on. And then the worst is, of course, Lord, I'm, come on. I've been watching this incredible, very godly show called Signed, Sealed, and Delivered that my mother-in-law passed this, or my mom passed this. It's not my mother-in-law, definitely my mother. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I need more drugs. Anyhow, okay. Drugs are wearing off from last night, Lord. Okay. But I want you to know this morning. The moment you get up, you've signed in. Yes, Lord, what do you need? Checking in for duty, Lord. What do you want me to do? 
listen, I know you're going to work today, and I know there's this project you have to get done with three other people. I know it's going to be good. But I want to just warn you that around 12-12, in the lunchroom, there's going to be somebody lingering around. And what you don't know is that their husband just left them last night. But I want you to go sit beside them, eat your lunch, and for 15 minutes, love on them. I can do that. I can do that, Lord. Yes, I can do that. And then it turns into a nuclear explosion of the love of God in lunchroom 3A on the fourth floor of wherever you work. And you say, hey, can we get together for coffee? Sure. Can we connect? Absolutely. How can I pray for you? And you follow up. And now you use the texting not to be a distraction, but you text every morning to say, God loves you. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. In the midst of the storm, no matter what's going on, God will be your anchor. And I'm going to be right there for you. Church. I got to a point many years ago where I literally said to God, God, I'm sick and tired. Sick and tired of doing church. Sick and tired. But I want to be the church. So, Lord, I'm going to be the church. All right. Here's how the holy man myth works out. And then I'm going to come in for a close. We're going to take communion. I'm more long, and it's okay because you love me. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Here's how it works. If someone needs prayer or advice or connection, the pastor is the only one you want. Part two. If someone else shows up, their prayers and their advice won't work because their advice in your mind is second rate. Number three. If the pastor didn't show up at the hospital, the patient is sure to complain that no one from the church ever visited me, yet their friends came every single day from church, every day, for seven days in a row. And here's the problem that we have. If your concept of church is the pastors are the sustainer of the community, they're the sustainer of everything, then it's a backwards model from what Scripture talks about. It's actually not scriptural. The church is to be equipped to do the work of the ministry. We are the coaches. We have all got to buy pom-poms. That's what we're going to do. You can do it. I don't know what to say. You'll figure it out. That's not good advice. I know. (laughs) Someone told me the same thing, and I was pathetic. But God uses it. What was this? Like, Cameron, can you please explain how I just bombed that and somehow that was good? You overcame fear. Oh, yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. Oh, I did. I've never done that before. And I bombed. I'm on Epic Fails on YouTube. But I, doesn't matter. I did it. Yes, you did. So I want you to understand if your mindset is, my depth of community only depends on how much the pastor does for me, is for me, there for me, prays for me, connects with me, shakes my hand, hugs me, interacts with me every single Sunday, then you are going to be disappointed. There are between 200 and 230 people that call Impact home, and there's no way that I can connect with everyone all the time. There's no way. Just no way. So, Ephesians 4, 11 to 16 says exactly um, 
what the church is all supposed to be about. He says he himself gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. He's basically saying church leaders. For the equipping of, sa- of the saints, that's you, for the work of ministry. For the edifying, another word for that is encouraging of the body. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, but in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But here's, I love this. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from uh, whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. All right. So what causes, according to this, our spiritual growth and our spiritual connection? It is being joined and knit together to one another. As a result of what everyone supplies when every part does its share. That is the equation for community. He's given it to us. We don't have to think of something else and try to write a book and get it on the New York Times bestseller list. He's already written the book. It's Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 16 is a good one. Why is this important? I'm going to tell you why this is important. One of the things that we've been very blessed with over the last number of months is we have a number of new people in our church, and I just want to say thank you for coming and thank you for trusting us with uh, your spiritual development and hope that we could pour into your life and be able to bless you as a church. But here's what I want you to understand. The moment that you come to Christ and the moment you connect to a church family The moment that happens, this thing has to switch inside of us that says, I'm no longer looking for what I need, but for what I can give. And you know what I've learned in my my life? When I give, I get everything I need. It's amazing how it comes back. Just finds a way of coming back and finding a way into your hearts. Why is this important for us? Why is this an at-the-core type of message? Because our desire, from the moment we got married and we started to dream about this church, we started using these really, really crazy words that are completely far-fetched in the natural, but we were addicted to these words for about eight years before we ever moved here to Kingston. And it went like this, authentic irresistible, deep, gracious, go the extra mile, be inconvenienced for the sake of somebody else. And then we started envisioning a church. We started seeing a church that would not only be this amazing conduit of the love of God, but a church that would literally transform their city because of that love. That's my heart's cry. It's what makes me get up in the morning every day and and dream about what a church can become. Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com.